I'm going to present something today that, at least on the outset, it's going to look less quantitative, and, and that's okay for some kinds of research. But let, let me give you just a little bit of a background. When I started looking at personality psychology, it was almost by accident. I was uh, doing my MFA, Master's of Fine Arts in Professional and Creative Writing, and I thought for my thesis, which had to be a full-length book, I was going to write a memoir, and it was going to be on intergenerational fatherhood. So I wanted to look at fatherhood from the perspective that we all play different roles, and, and even though you know it's it's gender specific, you know, for fatherhood, obviously daughters and mothers, you know, play into this in, in different ways. But you start out as a child, and for most of us, our biggest icon, the hero, the dragon slayer in our lives is our father. And then we grow up, and you know, if you get into Freud at all, you see sometimes there's that transition of childhood and adolescence where you're kind of combative, potentially, maybe not, with your father and, and trying to find your own way. And then soon after that, you become a father, and now you have a child, and you have an aging father, and then you eventually see your father pass on, and now you see your children having children. And, and there's all of this intergenerational play where your role stays uh, constantly changing, but it's in this, it's in this flow. And, and so I wanted to write about that, and it was going to be you know, memoir from my perspective, a lot of storytelling. But as I started getting into some of the background, because like a Malcolm Gladwell book, I still wanted there to be a concrete foundation that was following studies and supportive research. And that took me so far in that direction. I was so surprised how much amazing information there was. I didn't even know there was a field called personality psychology. Uh, I knew there was developmental psychology, which is where I started looking. And then I, I find out that developmental psychology, personality psychology, positive psychology, they, they've all kind of sprung out of one another. And primarily one of the biggest epicenters of this is University of Pennsylvania. So I got so interested in personality psych and, and developmental psych that it started leading into social psych because how we interact with these things and our roles in life certainly is magnified and we magnify ourselves through social dynamics. So I ended up then after that degree, you know, going into social psychology and then social science. And so it's taken me down this path that I just never even knew existed. And I've found, I think the reason so many people are attracted to psychology is always one of the popular, uh, you know, degrees for, for undergraduates and so forth. And self-development as a genre is that we're, we're all trying to figure these things out about ourselves. We have these intuitions, we have these experiences and even in today's topic, we're trying to succeed at certain things. We're trying to live our best lives. And it's not always just in the how-to. You know, you don't just get a plan. Everybody on the planet, you know, reads the same book, and then we all do the same thing and get the same results. There's this entire mix, and it comes down to our personality. So yesterday, well, first of all, in our Nutrition Coaching Global Mastermind uh, this week, I talked about a client of mine who uh, had this, who wanted this immersive experience. So he decided to uproot himself, move to Evansville, Indiana, where he could just, you know, sit at my feet and train with me four times a week. And 
we would go grocery shopping together and we would do everything. It was going to be so easy and amazing and perfect. He wanted to set himself up into this utopia. And it was great for a while because, you know, he did create that immersive experience. But very, very soon the wheels started coming off the car and pretty soon he's spiraling out of control and he's he's he had regressed completely. He had lost about 15 to 20 pounds with me in about three months. And then all of a sudden he was missing workouts, gaining weight back. He ended up gaining 10 to 15 percent more weight than he'd even lost. So why does somebody who is that hell bent on success and is willing to go to that extreme? Like, why would that happen? And I'm going to show today the power of personality. You know, what happens to us, uh, you know, from the time we're born, you know, first of all, with our genetics, just the DNA that is encoded from our predecessors. But then, you know, how environmentally are our brains impacted by everything from our childhood and so forth? So one part of the story that I did not tell Tuesday in the Nutrition Coaching Global Mastermind, I picked up and finished in our newest Mind Muscle Connection podcast, which was yesterday. So it was just released. I'll announce it here in a little bit. But I had forgotten to finish that story Tuesday night because I, I left off where I said, you know, I just kind of pressed pause with that client. I said, after two weeks of him just completely not showing up, I said, you know, let's just let's just kind of move you off the schedule. Um, I'm going to refund your money. and you know, we just kind of, I just kind of let it go at that. I, I didn't do it to punish him. Uh, I felt very, very bad that I was getting paid to do nothing. I mean, I was doing nothing for him. And so my, my words to him were, you know, I'm clearly not doing for you what you need. And so let's, let's just take a break. And I, I thought that that would potentially hurt him personally. And it did. And so I didn't hear from him for two weeks. And then as I'm thinking through this, because I'm a ruminator and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I hope I didn't really hurt his feelings. I hope he's doing okay. So I, I wanted to check in on him, but make sure uh, I did, did it in a way that wasn't pressuring him, you know, that, you know, toward our initial goals. I didn't want him to think it was very performance-based, but what really prompted me to dig in and, and, and try and pursue him back as a friend, and I, and I did, I just invited him to play golf, go have a drink, let, this is chat, let's be friends, and we'll put this professional relationship on hold. But then it dawned on me what I, what I did to this guy. Uh, what I didn't tell the group Tuesday night was he, he was adopted, so he found out as a child he was adopted. And for a lot of kids, no matter how many ways you can say it's the best thing and on and on and on. You, you feel abandoned. I mean, why was I not good enough? Why did my parents not love me? You know, even though that's completely illogical, a child never knows the full story, you, that, that completely codes an adolescent's brain when that's, that's what you think in your greatest relationships in life, like that's, that's going through your brain. So then uh, with his adoptive parents, they get a divorce. So guess what? Dad number two abandons him. Then dad number three is, is, a, is a raging alcoholic. You can, can't please him. He's a hard ass. And so he learns that, you know, first of all, I'm not even worthy of being stayed with, but now I have to perform a certain way just to get the respect, you know, of my third dad. And guess what I did to him when I, when he was not showing up, you know, guess what I did? 
maybe dad number four. Uh, I abandoned him. I fired him. I kicked him off my schedule. I did exactly what he was in the pattern of getting. And it creates this, this cycle. And probably because of his own personality, which I'm going to come back to a little bit later, um, you know, you know, he even almost creates that constant loop. So when we talk about the predictive power of personality traits, had I been thinking about this ahead of time, I could have, I could have put a little more thought into understanding where he was coming from in the first place, why he thinks the way he thinks, why he struggles with the things he struggles with. Um, but this is the power of, of personality in, in where this comes from. So, uh, I, I took today's information instead of from a single study, I found this book, Personality, Psychology, and Economics. And as I, as I mentioned once in a while, I like to sometimes go out of our field to see how many correlations there are to our field, because we can get pretty myopic with just looking at you know health and weight loss and that sort of thing. Uh, interestingly, even though I did not expect this, you're going to see some notes from this book, a 181 page book, again, one of the authors from University of Pennsylvania. And, um, and they do talk about health, they do talk about health outcomes. So so there's an interesting little correlate there. But let me let me read a couple things here. Got to move this grid down. Um, so this is this is right from kind of the premise of the book, this section, which I'm going to deal with. Uh, discusses empirical evidence on the power of personality and predicting life outcomes. A growing body of evidence suggests that personality measures, especially those related to conscientiousness and to a lesser extent neuroticism, predict a wide range of outcomes. Um, and then they talk about how a lot of people have tried to correlate IQ, just gross intelligence to outcomes in life. And they, they said that that's okay. Like there are some things you can correlate, but personality traits absolutely have a greater outcome prediction model. So uh, one of the things I want to mention here too, is because I'm not analyzing a particular study or meta-analysis, I'm not going to talk about methodology. They, they cite a bunch of studies. This is an actual textbook. So they're the ones citing all these studies throughout their work. And if you want, if you're interested in that level of discussion, you know, you can always look up the book. It's, there's a, there's a PDF online, but um, I, I just wanted to kind of stick to their interpretation, take it on face value and, and talk about it. But out of all of the personality uh, uh, profiles or measurements, assessments you can take, to make it simple, they tried to stick to the language of the big five. And I want to explain a couple of the most common. So if you guys have not ever taken a personality test, I'm going to give you an assignment because I think it could be very revealing to you. You know, first of all, you can just do an internet search for the big five personality traits. And you will see it's broken up into these five and they, they, uh, some of them are labeled differently. So extroversion is typically extroversion. Agreeableness, uh, is sometimes, um, talked about in a different way. Conscientiousness is always there. Neuroticism is often, uh, talked about as you'll see coming up, um, not as neuroticism, but let me see if I can find the other one here. Cause I don't want you guys to get confused. Um, we, we may see it as it comes up here. I'll, I'll come back to that. Um, neuroticism, I'll explain as it kind of, it, it correlates to conscientiousness. So conscientiousness is somebody who's extremely meticulous, as you can read on the screen, self-efficacy, orderliness, dutiful, 
uh, achievement striving, self-disciplined, cautious, you know, that's conscientious. I think that that's pretty, pretty easy to understand. Neurotic is to take that to an unhealthy level. So if I'm the kind of guy who has to have all my paper clips lined up a certain way on my desk, that's obviously somebody who's conscientious. If I freak out, if you move one of them and I get angry and it just ruins my day, then that's that's now neurotic. You know, now you've gone too far and it really unbalances your emotional state. So again, they're they're close together, but one is kind of positive and one is kind of negative. And then openness, um, which is, oh, I don't want to say it's like introversion, but it's interesting that they put extroversion without introversion on this. But I, I think you'll see a couple of reasons why as we go. So one of the things I learned very quickly about personality psychology in the best sense that you can interpret it, they typically, you should think of them, or at least it's proposed that you should think of them as scales. So it's not that you have great conscientiousness or you don't. If you're high in conscientiousness, you may be kind of low in something else. And the, the creators of personality psychology, uh, Drs. Seligman and Peterson, you know, they wrote this book, the, the Handbook of Character, Traits, and Virtues, and they actually have six categories of virtues, and they divide those up into 24 traits. So as academics, they really define this specifically. But there is a test that you can take for this one, and it's, it's the VIA test. And I, and I think that is really fun to take. It, it's, a, it's a little bit longer test, but it's, it's a really good one. Um, so, so here's what this looks like. You know, wisdom, courage, humanity, transcendence, justice, and moderation. If you dig into what those really mean, you know, you, you can see how they, they have some opposites. So, for example, if I'm really, really high in justice, if I'm somebody who's a stickler for the just world theory, everything has to be orderly, everything has to be fair, and these are the people who, like, you know, if, 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 this, if this isn't fair, I'll take it to the streets myself and I'll fix it. I'll be that person. So they're also very high, as you'll see, in like leadership and uh, even, you know, over on the courage side, it, it, they, they correlate to bravery and so forth. That's, that's the opposite of love and kindness and social intelligence. You know, somebody who's kind of laid back and is going to be less impulsive. So, you know, you see how these things go in, in slides or scales compared to each other. Then, of course, there's always the Myers-Briggs. Um, and even, you know, you could look into the, the Minnesota multiphasic personality inventory. But everybody loves to like, what are you? Are you an INTJ? Are you this? Are you that? Um, you know, this one is kind of it's, it's the classic. It's the OG, so to speak. But I think it also has some, some interesting things to teach us. But I'm going to show you. Uh, I, I, I've taken these tests over time. The first time I took that VIA was in 2014 when I was doing my thesis in developmental and personality psychology. And, um, and so I took that VIA test and I had not looked at it in a long time. And I, I pulled it up today to show you guys where I rank on this because I want to show you how these personality traits correlate to our actual outcomes. And this particular book, being an economics book, they looked heavily at, at your ability to hold a job, what kind of occupations are typically held by different personality types, um, 
you know, your income, your revenue generating potential, who, who are the biggest earners, the most stable earners and so forth, who are the ones who are happiest in their careers. But then they also looked at these other things as, as we're going to discuss, like, like health and longevity, which I was very, very happy to see. So I'm going to go through a list of just general correlations. And, and when you look at and again, they're, they're looking at the big five primarily. They, they use some different language once in a while, but they're looking at, at the big five in personality types. And they're saying, okay, if we're looking at income, career satisfaction, that kind of thing, outcome, even criminality they looked at, then you know what kind of correlations can we just see in general before we get too specific? And the ones that correlate together the most are the senses of reciprocity and trust. So for example, just to give you an idea of how to kind of condition your brain to think about personality psychology, if I'm really, really high on trust, if I, if I think, you know, if I instantly like Dan and I meet and I like Dan, Dan likes me, I immediately trust Dan. If Dan says, hey, this bottle of wine is a good bottle of wine, I'm not going to say, wow, I wonder if Dan's trying to screw me. I wonder if he's playing a trick on me. Like, I would never think that because I have a high level of trust. Um, and, and that also tends to correlate with reciprocity. And, and, you know, ironically, I am very much a gift giver. Another personality trait spinoff, if you look at the languages of love, the love languages that Dr. Uh, Gary Chapman came up with decades ago, you know, I, I'm a gift giver. So because I like reciprocity, I would tend to be somebody who trusts more because since I love to give things, you know, I, I feel deeper social connection instantly. I trust, you know, more than other people may trust. Uh, and so, so those two kind of things go together. Same thing with risk aversion, uh, you know, because I trust, I, I tend to maybe say, okay, I'm not gonna, you know, I, it, th those are actually correlated negatively. I forgot to put that negatively. That if I if I if I'm highly highly trusting, then you know my risk aversion score is going to be you know probably kind of high because I'm I trust too much and so I'm not very risk averse and this this comes out in my own personality tests, uh, risk aversion and agreeableness. So if somebody is risk averse, they they don't like to take risks. They you know they may have a higher sense of agreeableness. But this is, this is where I, I want to really point out a couple of things. These next three lines, uh, when they said right at the outset in that first, that first paragraph of section seven of this book, that conscientiousness is the thing. It is the pivot point for all predictive elements of success in life endeavor. And they said, and neuroticism is a close second neuroticism is like that evil twin of conscientiousness. You step over the line from conscientiousness to neuroticism and where conscientiousness is most correlated to success, neuroticism is most negatively associated with ambition and success. So you know how uh, we, we always tend as human beings to, to look for the theory of everything we want one answer. We want to find the bottom foundation. And, and this is one of those things where we can say, okay, look at all of these personality traits and virtues, and let's try and synthesize it down into maybe just the, the top five. And then other people have made a grid of four. And now what they're saying through this research 
is that really, if you're talking about the predictive nature of personality, it comes down to just two. There's a right and a wrong, a good and a bad, a binary, just like our brains like it. And so if, if you're very, very highly conscientious, then you're, you're, that's the good path toward success and, and happiness. If you're really high on neuroticism, you're going down the wrong path. And think, think about it like this. Like my client who uprooted himself, just took his whole life and just discarded it and said, I'm going to move to Evansville and this is going to be an amazing thing. That is an incredibly impulsive move. He is off the chart in neuroticism and impulsivity. I mean, those, those are synonyms. And so guess what happened? So far, he has not succeeded. And when you look at other areas of his life, uh, he has been very challenged in that he is, is skilled in a lot of areas, but always finds a way to lose his job, always finds a way to get fired from amazing positions. He's a high income earner because of his technical background and, and very creative, a musician, and everything he does just ends up burning in flames. And it's, it's truly, and, and I've known this guy for 20 some years, so I'm not just trying to diagnose him from a couple of months of working together. Uh, it's truly because he would score off the charts on neuroticism and very low on conscientiousness. So let's look at these last two lines and, and then we'll move on. So performance motivation. So just, you know, I, I'm motivated to perform. That's very extroversion. Uh, fear of failure, internal locus of control, curiosity. I'm going to explain low discount rate in a minute. And risk aversion are positively correlated to IQ test and correct answers. So people who tend to kind of get the right answer, you remember when we talked about moral psychology, and that's more of a limbic system thing. It's not how much knowledge we have in our brain. It's that we've kind of made that decision once as, as a value. Um, internal locus of control is self-efficacy. I, I believe that I can control my outcome. I believe I'm in control of my life. Curiosity means I'm secure enough to go out there and seek things, you know, openness. Um, I am motivated. Uh, I definitely am risk averse. I don't want to fail. You know, that's what makes me conscientious. Low discount rate is, is, a, uh, is an economic term that describes uh, when somebody has some wealth or their, their welfare increases, is there a difference between the acute benefit to their life and the chronic benefit? And so that discount rate, how much of a gap? And, and the best way to think of it is like the lottery winners. You, get, you guys have heard everybody who wins the lottery ends up like bankrupt within a year. Um, not everybody, but it's the people who never really earned money on their own. They were never conscientious enough to do it. They were never, they never had those skill sets or personality traits. All of a sudden you dump a pile of money on their lap. The discount rate's high. They're, they're living life right now. Like it really had an impact on their life now, but in a year has zero impact because they've blown it all. So that, that's what that is. That's again, this is an economic textbook. But negative fear of failure. So instead of fear of failure, like, oh, man, I want to succeed. I want to succeed. Negative fear of failure is, oh, my gosh, I better not fail because so-and-so will think horribly of me or daddy won't be proud of me anymore. In uh, extroversion, you know, where you have to, you know, always be out there. You got to always be looked at. You got to be the center of attention. 
you know, those are negatively associated. So I'm trying to paint a picture of these two poles. Again, this, this scale, this continuum, somebody who's incredibly thoughtful, somebody who's motivated, somebody who has that strong internal compass and intrinsic motivation, somebody who's secure enough to be curious, somebody that you could give them this massive pile of wealth and it wouldn't really change their life. You know, it's just like they're, they're cautious. Those are high IQ people typically, and they're less impulsive. They're more mindful. Somebody who's neurotic and impulsive and just, you know, living out in front of everybody, they're external processors. This is the person who never shuts up. You know, as soon as a thought hits their brain, it's, it's out of their mouth, you know, to their own detriment. So, so these are two strong things that they really started to, to see uncovered in this research. So I think this is the, the last page of this, but intrinsic motivation, curiosity, internal locus of control, again, a lot of these same things, emotional stability, risk aversion, uh, that normal discount rate and conscientiousness are negatively associated with responsiveness to incentive. I put the exclamation there and even bolded it because you guys know this is my hobby horse, intrinsic versus external motivation. When you, when you are intrinsically motivated and you are emotionally stable and you are secure enough to be curious and to explore, you are not as responsive to incentive. So if somebody says, hey, I'll give you 20 bucks if you go touch that electric fence, you know, you're going to be the one that says, yeah, no, thanks. Or, hey, I'll bet you can't, you know, jump your bike over that ravine. You know, you're, you know, I'll give you 20 bucks for that. Or, you know, these crazy things that make people do impulsive things or just risk all their money in the stock market. You know, how many people when Bitcoin starts rising, all of a sudden you got all these armchair investors who put all their money, you know, into a single stock or something, and then they're, they're broke in two weeks. So, so those people with the most internal stability are not externally motivated. They're, they're even keel. Leisure preference and openness to experience. So people who just aren't that serious and yet they are still kind of open, you know, that's that extroversion are positively associated with, in, with responsiveness to incentive. So the people who are externally motivated, you know, those are the ones that you, if you feel that way, if you've ever said these words, you know, if I just had this or, hey, trainer, hey, coach let's do this. Let's have this great contest, you know, motivate me. I need you to tell me exactly what to do. You know, let's have this contest. You got to watch out because if that's your thought process, you are an externally motivated person and you're probably on the side that's more neurotic and less conscientious. So this is where some of those correlates come back to IQ. The top 25% IQ earners or I, I'm sorry, the top 25% of people with the highest IQ are, are bigger risk takers. And here's what's interesting. This is a two-sided coin because you, you, sometimes you, 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 th you think your brain is a little bit better than it is and you think you know everything. And so you're willing to risk some things out of arrogance and you can lose. But you can also be somebody who's somewhat high IQ and, and take bigger risks but measured smart risks. And there's a difference there. That, that's why they said IQ is not the biggest correlate to outcome because 
you know, even though you can you can look at the ends of these bell curves, the bottom 25% are are less are twice as likely to quit a job within a year. You know, some risk payoff, some don't. And, and you know, you've got the bottom who's down here. I, I think some of these personality traits, we have to look at the true organic measure. Uh, because it, when, I, when I see this bottom line, that the bottom 25% are twice likely to quit a job within a year, again, maybe just kind of impulsive. My boss pissed me off. And so screw you, I don't need this job and I'm going to walk off. And you don't think about that long-term in or that long-term, you know, hit. Um, you know, sometimes that is personality traits as we're describing. Sometimes it is actual intellectual capacity, your ability to even think through those things. So, you know, something I think we all need to give each other a little bit of, of grace with in trying to interpret each other. So uh, here's, here's a couple more, uh, a factor that loads heavily on self-control. So anything that you're trying to measure, anything you're looking at that, that is most dependent on self-control, consideration of the future consequences, elaboration of consequences, effective mindfulness, and conscientiousness, those are negatively associated with discount rate, like I said. So again, if you're somebody who is very conscientious, you know, you, your, your look at your acute state and your long-term trajectory isn't that different. You know, you're, you're playing the same game now as you plan on playing in 30 years. Whereas, you know, I, I will say my, my dad, you know, I, I've told you guys that I grew up extremely poor and my dad started out, um, I, I think, in a place in, you know, kind of in the 60s and 70s where anybody working hard could make a good living. And so he was a, a new car salesman and became the general manager of a car dealership. And, you know, we didn't have necessarily a bad life. I mean, we were definitely poor, five kids and only one income and, you know, not a college degree holder. It was, it was lower level, but it was survivable. But due to occupational gentrification, once my dad hit about my age and he lost his job, now he was no longer able to even earn that. I mean, he never he never made more than a third of that level of income the rest of his life. And to see somebody go, you know, almost through that shock, and now all of a sudden you go from, you know, stable but barely making ends meet to just abject poverty, uh, you know, his his thought process of how to get out was always like to win the lottery, you know, Oh, just wait until we win the lottery. Just wait until I'm, I get that winning lottery ticket, you know, and it's never, and that's that discount rate. It, instead of doing the little things it takes to pull yourself back up, you know, at 48, 50, 52 years old, when he lost his job, what if he went to a trade school? What if he went back to college and got a degree and then he had another 20 years of higher income or something, but instead it was always just, you know, fanciful, imaginative thinking that was never going to come true. So, so again, it's just, it comes, it comes down to that, that internal locus of control and mindfulness, but here's, here's what's interesting. Um, I just got to note my internet is stable or unstable. So I'm going to wait for a second. Okay. So a factor or a variable that loads on, or that is dependent on blood pressure, or you're correlating measuring things against blood pressure is positively associated with the discount rate. So again, why would this be? Why would somebody with higher fluctuating blood pressure be positively associated with all of those things due to impulsivity? 
I, I think it kind of makes sense if, if you think about it in that if I'm so impulsive that everything sends me into an emotional tailspin, everything makes me angry, everything makes me impulsive, then obviously that's going to show up biometrically by blood pressure. So, so again, they're showing that thoughtfulness versus impulsiveness, the ability to regulate your own emotion, which is the definition of emotional intelligence, you having the ability to think through your circumstances, to think through your emotion. That's also the cornerstone of what conscientiousness is. So if we boil all this down to one thing, if we, if we truly can find a theory of everything in personality psychology, remember, we're looking at the predictive nature. Can you predict somebody's outcome just by their score on a, on a personality inventory? They're saying, um, you know, before presenting a detailed survey of the effects of personality and cognition on a variety of outcomes, it's useful to have an overview of the main findings. One principal finding in our survey, the principal, is that conscientiousness is the most predictive of all, almost every outcome. Like, like I said, even criminality. I was actually hoping they were going to say conscientious people were the most criminal. So I could say that, you know, I've got that in my back pocket if I need it. But it's, it's actually the opposite. You know, conscientious people are the least criminal. But let's get into some of the other findings. And I think you'll see how this is supported. Uh, measures of personality and predict a range of educational outcomes of the big five. Conscientiousness best predicts overall attainment and achievement in education. Other traits such as openness to experience, which again, I think takes a lot of internal uh, security. Predict finer measures of educational attainment, such as attendance and the course difficulty selected, what you actually choose to do with that. But traits related to neuroticism affect educational attainments, although the relationship is not always monotonic. So, you know, those remember neuroticism and conscientiousness, close cousins. So neurotic people often seek education as well, but it doesn't necessarily pay off. Like my, my clients, highly educated, highly technical guy, super, super intelligent in his life is just a constant chaotic shitstorm. Um, you know, so very fine line between those two things. Uh, so let's, uh, Let's look at a couple more things. Personality measures also predict a variety of labor market outcomes of the big five traits. Conscientiousness, of course, best predicts overall job performance, but is less predictive than measures of intelligence. So now we get back into IQ to look at like who actually has the, the means to, to do something. So being conscientious doesn't mean you are the most intelligent. They're correlative. But, you know, there are still people who may not be. Think of somebody who's highly intelligent, but may not be that conscientious. Um, you know, I think about my wife. She would probably score about a zero on conscientiousness. That's a personality trait, but she's still highly intelligent. So she's one of these people who, you know, her, her side of the bedroom, because we are truly like the odd couple, like my side looks like the Boston Public Library. Everything's in its place and orderly. And hers looks like a flea market. Um, but yet we're both, you know, intelligent people who get along. We just happen to have two different sides of that conscientious scale. I hope she never watches these things. She, she has access. I may have to watch what I start saying here. Uh, but many traits predict sorting into occupations consistent with economic models of comparative advantage. That's not all that interesting to us today. So, so the last thing I wanted to talk about, and I've got one more, one more note on this after this slide, 
but all the big five traits predict some health outcomes. However, again, conscientiousness is the most predictive of longevity, even more so than intelligence. So now, you know, you get into, let's let, you know, pick somebody that you think on just an organic level, not education attained, but somebody who may not be the most intelligent, but they're still very conscientious. They have their routines, they have their patterns, they have their values, and their health values are to eat well, you know, to do well. They, they may work out. Uh, so again, you know, intelligence isn't the same thing as conscientiousness. You get intelligence and conscientiousness together, and you probably got, you know, somebody who's going to do okay in life. But, but across the entire spectrum of education and IQ, conscientiousness is still the foundational personality trait. And, and again, it, it, it's, it makes so much sense, but maybe until you've seen some research and you see it laid out in these terms, it doesn't have the same impact. But somebody who's conscientious, they really do have those internal values, like we've talked about in other, uh, other research reviews. They really have these values where they say, I'm this kind of person. I'm the kind of person who takes care of themselves. I'm the kind of person who works out because you're supposed to. I'm the kind of person who eats well because I know the research says it reduces your risk of heart disease. That's not an impulsive trait. That's not a chaotic trait. That's, that's, that's an internal center of security, making logical decisions because of my health values kind of trait, which again is, is the definition of conscientiousness. So here we go. So before I ever knew what this exam was, we were all sitting at a table. We, I was having dinner with some friends in Los Angeles and, and some friends of mine were talking about this. And I'm like, you know, what is it? What is it? And they said, oh, here, somebody pulled it up on their phone and said, you got to take this test. And to this day, I've just kept it. This is my first, first um, shot at this. And look where I score on conscientiousness. And uh, you know, jokingly, as I say, you know, not to brag here, but doesn't it make sense when you look at my resume that that you know you would say, yeah, you know, Joe kind of likes to do things. Joe likes to be active. Joe likes to uh, you know keep his keep his head down and, and work hard. Um, there are a couple things that do surprise me in a in a negative way. Um, well, not negative way, but it, it does show again how close neuroticism is so so oh this is where I, I said that these things take a different turn but let me let me show the so emotional stability that's the same as neuroticism so it's just labeled differently so I'm high on conscientiousness but I'm also pretty darn high on neuroticism so it depends on which voice in my head I'm listening to right I will tell you 15 20 30 years ago, my neuroticism would have been close to 100 and conscientiousness would have been lower because there was a time in my life where I was much more impulsive and I was definitely, um, you know, just just that person who would jump before thinking. And, and so it, it's taken me a lot of work and refinement to to kind of flip those around. Um, but again, very, very close cousins. Uh, so. You know how I always talk about being an introvert. Look at look at that extroversion score: four, four out of a hundred. Um, and and interestingly, you know, I, I guess I'm kind of glad there there are a number of books now talking about how introverts are kind of where you want to be because as an internal processor, you tend to be more thoughtful, more mindful. 
you're not getting yourself into trouble by speaking before you think and, you know, that kind of thing. And so um, I'll, I'll take it. It kind of matches up with, uh, with, I guess, who I want to be after all, even though I've had to work to at least come out of my shell once in a while. So this uh, VIA, uh, Values in Action, and, and they have that, I think I put their, their website on a previous slide, VIA character or characteristics, something like that, .org. Um, they're somehow affiliated. This is actually a, a nonprofit in Cincinnati. Somehow they're affiliated with the University of Pennsylvania. But you can, you can take this inventory and it'll, it'll give you the entire list of the 24 character strengths and uh, I did this in 2014. So when I was doing my, my thesis in personality and developmental psych, and uh, number one was love of learning. That's no uh, surprise. Curiosity and interest, you know, no surprise. Zest and enthusiasm and energy, no surprise. Appreciation of beauty and excellence, no surprise. Leadership, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm a little surprised, but as Dan has said, I'm kind of the reluctant leader. But I, I pulled up the whole thing, and I'm going to look on this other screen to tell you because I, I want you to show. I want you to see the bottom. I want you to see what I suck at. Uh, number 24, my worst trait whatsoever is spirituality. Um, so I tend to be a little bit more of a rationalist. Um, but then look at my my second to worst trait: caution, prudence, and discretion. And again, I have to own that. Like that makes sense. I've that's that's high neuroticism, and uh, and that's what I you know have always um, you know battled with a little bit. So I'm not the most cautious or prudent uh, you know type person. So so anyway, you know you just these are the kind of things where if if you look at these inventories and you start to understand some of the descriptions and read some of what the authors are, are trying to convey. It's, it's not the goal for us to fix ourselves or others. It's not to say, oh, this, this is who I should be and I'm not. I need to recreate myself. The goal is to, is to look at those. And just like I said here, you know, maybe 20 or 30 years ago, I could have saved myself a lot of you know, potential problems in life and relationships had I just started working a little sooner in intentionally on conscientiousness versus neuroticism. Um, but when you can, you can look at those things, you can say, wow, that's, you know, I, I get it. Like I am that way. A, I can kind of figure out why, you know, what, you know, who in my life phenotypically do I kind of favor? Like, is it, do I have a, a mother, a father, or a grandfather or grandmother somewhere that I can say, yeah, I, I, I guess I am kind of like that person. And as I view it in somebody else, I can see that I don't like that. I don't like that about them. So why do I do that? Maybe, maybe I need to try and temper that a bit. Or you look at some of these traits like conscientiousness and curiosity and the love of learning and that, and you know, having that internal self-efficacy. And you can ask, you know, what how do you get more of that? Like what 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 does that person think like? How do they make decisions? And then you can gradually add those kind of mindfulness tactics into your thinking. And of course, they gradually become habit. But it, it's not that you ever, ever erase these personality traits. You, know, you have this huge, organic, neurologically primed and cemented set of, of genetics. Then you have your entire environment where your brain was formed 
in certain environments and that never goes away. Well, you know, our brains aren't even fully formed until we're 25 to 30 years old. And so when your brain is, is developing and growing and, and, and wiring itself together in a certain environment, who you are 50 years later, you can't undo that. So you always have to have this level of self-awareness of, okay, these are my tendencies. I am that person to lash out angrily, or I am that person to make impulsive decisions. So I need to have a, a, a cycle, a, a pause button. I need to have a way to make myself trigger a timeout so I can do something differently than my nature naturally would lead me to. So, you know, I just, I don't want to give anybody the assumption that as soon as you just kind of learn these things, check off a few boxes, you can, you can become a new person, but it is all we have. Those are the tools to at least start to become so self-aware that we gradually create these new behaviors. And, and I'm telling you, if you've ever known somebody that's gone through some life change and you can say, wow, 10 years ago, you did used to do this more often, or you were kind of like this. And now you've grown. I mean, we, we call it maturity, right? Like we become better people, but at the end of the day, when you look at this, um, you know, we, we have conscientiousness as that kind of linchpin of, of a predictor for success and attainment, even in long-term weight loss and health change. But the other ones are openness and love of learning, as I mentioned, and perseverance. And then specifically, when they, they had a section in this economic textbook on, on, on health and longevity, it was conscientiousness, openness. And they said, by the way, uh, neuroticism leads to a shorter life. Because remember how it was correlated to blood pressure spikes. Every time something's not going your way, blood pressure is going up and cortisol and so forth. So I, I think we all know that. But again, if we see it in different contexts like this, I think it could be you know, somewhat helpful. So I actually talked a little bit more than I thought. So I thought I'd get through that a little quicker. Any uh, any thoughts or comments from, from you guys? Looks like Stacy and Amanda already took off. I tell you what, that's, um, uh, that's the evolution of the Flexible Diet Institute you just explained uh, from me looking in uh, from the outside in. Uh, because uh, old school, just let's just use Joe 20 years ago uh, coaching the professional bodybuilders. Uh, cut the noodle in half to make your macro that that day, that meal. Flexible Diet Institute, uh, you even use it in context prep university all the time now. Uh, you know, what does it say at the end of the week? Uh, and uh, when I first started uh, working with you two years ago, I was cutting the noodle in half. Uh, and now uh, I'm looking at a week, uh, a bigger block of time. Now, granted, when, you, when you're at that level going for a world championship, it's a little different. Uh, you need to be a little more neurotic uh, but being conscientious uh, fits right under the umbrella of the Flexible Di uh, Dieting Institute. And I think that's how, that's how it was born. Uh, when The whole time I'm listening to your presentation, I said, Joe is explaining the, how he got to where he is right now by that evolution. Uh, also, another point I want to bring up, Daniel Pink wrote a great book called Drive. And I show his video along with Angela Duckworth that you mentioned and some of the other authors you mentioned when I do leadership, we used to do leadership. One thing you didn't mention was Daniel Pink. And he actually shows that in some cases, the incentive 
inhibits high performance. And a lot of people who I would show that video to would flip out. And they flip out because they come from a different personality mold. And to them, that's ridiculous. Uh, but in fact, uh, he proved it scientifically. Uh, and he used, you know, students from MIT and high producing uh, investors and so on and so forth. Uh, but without knowing what you just explained, uh, it's easy for people who are, who have half the story to say, that's impossible. It has to give you high performance. And the fact of the matter is, in some cases, it actually inhibits high performance. Incentive decreased performance. Yeah, we, we did a research review on this about six months ago, and, and it did shock me. I mean, that's why I brought it up as a topic. I'm like, wow, it really is true that these people who who were given a certain incentive, and it comes down to personality type, it yeah. just didn't like it didn't mean as much to them. They were interested more in the social connection and the team building and those kind of things. And so it, it, this is another reason why it matters knowing your personality uh, or, you know, those on your team, your family, your kids, because you don't know what's going to actually motivate them. If, if you just think it's one thing, like your thing. Yeah. And, and one last comment. Uh, you mentioned Dr. Angela Duckworth right up front. Uh, you know, she turned conscientious into the word grit and, word of, and of course, wrote a bestseller uh, mm -hmm. of that name. And basically, she said in her book, what you just did in 40 minutes, the same concept that, yeah, intelligence is important. But without that, uh, uh, without that conscientiousness, uh, it's not happening. Yep. Appreciate that, Dan. You got it. Good, Kevin. I took that test in right at the beginning. Um, Big five. Yeah, conscientiousness was eighty nine. Second highest was emotional stability or neuroticism at seventy eight. Extroversion at nineteen. I was a little bummed I wasn't negative there. But, <laughs> um, just thought that was neat to validate that, and I got Gallup strengths that it would further validate me uh, from a personality. But just to echo both of you, as far as you know living it right now with, with academia, you know, there is no incentive to me, you know, financially, because that is my incentive at this, in this context, uh, you know, we're asked for more volume or more, as more student volume comes in, the, uh, the incentive to do that is, to me, it's not worth it. it. If you reach that threshold for my personality, that the fun is now lost when you have too much volume, because it's, I guess it's that discount rate to me. It's just, no, I, it's, it's not worth it to me. Um, so I'd rather change the whole playing field at that point, but it's just very cool to see the parallels, not only just in this context or this example, but certainly in other facets of life. It just, it's just cool to put that together. And, you know, it, it makes me understand Andra where she's coming from in terms of her personality differences and, you know, it's, it's easy to scald others and, you know, vice versa. It's easy for me to be blamed for how I am, but it's, it's quite, it's, I guess, humbling to see it on the other perspective of if that's how they are fine. But, you know, much like you have, you insinuated Dan, you know, when you're in contest, there's a, there is neurotic, you have to impart before that, for that goal but you understand the difference of when to apply it and when to, you know, dial it down. And that's, of course, the, I would say that's the ultimate thing here is we're, 
we're aware enough to know when to dial it, when to not. And that's what makes us, I guess, balanced and even killed ultimately. That's the social intelligence of it. And so yesterday, Tyler Weeb and I recorded that this week's mind muscle connection podcast. And at one point toward the end, he talked about one of the greatest points of understanding personality psychology like this is so that you can understand other people. And like you just said, Kevin, instead of instead of constantly saying like, how, how do you do that? Why are you like that? Why can't you do this? Why can't you be more like me? The person can't like their brain is a totally different brain. They don't think like us. They and they, you know, what and why should they? They have a different personality trait set, just like us, because of their DNA, because of their environmental upbringing and so forth and life experiences. And if we just know these kinds of things, we can say, oh, oh, I get it. I see why that. And instead of letting it just create all this rancor, it's like, oh, we understand each other. That's why we are the way we are. And we, you know, agree on how we're going to make that work in our relationship when we move on. But one of the things that you said there too, Kevin, that I want to wrap up with, um, again, I love to look at cross industry, cross sector studies like this, because this is all about jobs and income and wealth and and stick-to-itiveness in that kind of occupational sense. And then said, oh, by the way, all that also predicts longevity and health, you know? And so um, going back to that internal locus of control and sense of self-efficacy, those of us who aren't motivated extrinsically, we're not extroverts by personality, we're not impulsive and neurotic, we're more mindful and conscientious. Why, Kevin, were you able to lose 120 pounds and keep it off? Why, instead of being 100 pounds overweight, like all of my siblings and my dad, why was I able to change my life and maintain it the way I have in my health, even against all of my genetics? Because of the same things. We're doing it for the right reasons. We have aligned our behaviors with our health values we're even keel about it. We're mindful. We're, we're not doing it for that, you know, big win at the end of the day. We're not doing it because I'm trying to lose 20 pounds or do this or that. It's just, we're doing it because that's who we want to be. And that's the foundation of conscientiousness. If you're applying it for the right reasons.